Hello and welcome to episode six of the City SC Report. My name is Steve and joining me on today's episode for the very first time is Matt Baker. How are you, Matt? I'm doing great, Steve. Glad to be here. Excited to talk about uh, St. Louis soccer, MLS. Be a good time. Right on. And welcome back once again to our good friend, Joe. Joe, how are you? I am good. Good to be back. Awesome. Well, guys, we took a couple weeks off from our typical two-week process that we're trying to stick with, but uh, we're back and we're rested and ready to go. Today's episode, we're going to do a little MLS 101. As I have stated before, our new team is drawing fans who may be new to MLS or just soccer in general. So hopefully we can enlighten you all a little to the history, structure, and future of MLS without putting you all to sleep. But before we begin, I have to mention the news from St. Louis City SC that was recently announced. Their first major partnership and future shirt sponsor, Purina. This is great in so many ways. Purina, a national brand that has called St. Louis home for over 90 years, female-led, just as St. Louis City SC is, and a big contributor to uh, local communities, just like St. Louis City will be. And uh, those checkers will look awesome on a kid, uh, if incorporated. Guys, what do you think? I think it's perfect. I think I think that uh, everything that Purina stands for is just exactly what City's looking for. Um, there were so many, so many options thrown around about who it might be um, looking at, you know, healthcare, looking at more of a, a business corporation type, uh, Edward Jones or Boeing or something like that. But I love that they went with the, you know, the pet care company. It's not just St. Louis born and bred, but it, it's fun. It, it's not just a regular corporate sponsor to me. It's something you can do the fun things that they did this week. Like you can rent the Dumb and Dumber van and go drive around and get people excited even though you don't have a club yet it's just something that's meaningful to the community and it gets people engaged and excited and it's adorable too i mean the the dog and cat pictures that have gone around this week that's just the start of it and if they can build on that with this kind of relationship it's to me it's something that's special and more than just a shirt sponsor and a corporate partner so i love it matt you're totally right on that um i mean you know that there will be other big names coming in but that that was just pretty much perfect, perfect fit in so many ways. I've heard from non-soccer fans who even thinks this that this is exciting, who people I know who just saw this on the news who say, like, oh well that that sounds great. That's a, a company you you don't have to be embarrassed about on the front of your shirt. I obviously we all wish that the modern day sports didn't require the money that it does to run, but Jersey sponsors are here to stay across soccer all over the world. And so if you're going to have to walk around with a logo on the front of it, Purina is not one to be embarrassed of. It's a company that people know and respect that's based out of here. It's not a, a pyramid scheme like a certain other MLS team had on the front of their shirt. You know, it's, it's not, it's not some random foreign company that no one's ever heard of. That's just trying to make a splash. It's a, it's a stable, respectable, you know, presence in the community. I, I think that's a, I think it's a great fit. Right. And they have to incorporate those checkers, right? I mean, come on. That would be a lot of fun. I would love to see that. Um, obviously, we'll, we're still a long ways out from, uh, from seeing how they use it, but it seems like a great fit. I'm excited to see how much they, they lean into the checkers. You think of, uh, a regular kit sponsor as just being a name on the front of the shirt, but 
you know, obviously the Purina checkers are, are unique and almost um, just this thing to, that just is obviously known by everybody on what it is. So are you going to incorporate the checkers because of Purina as your first identity of a kit, uh, kind of intertwining yourself with your kit sponsor, which would probably be fine. I mean, obviously checkers are gorgeous. Croatia uses them as the thing everybody points to right now, and it looks beautiful. But are you going to really lean into that type of synergy with your, your first kit sponsor? Because I mean, I eventually we'll get to a point where you're re-upping or looking at different kit sponsors, maybe years down the road. How much do you want to tie your initial kit to the sponsor itself? I'm excited to see where they go with that. Um, I don't think you can really go wrong with it between the colors and the possible uh, different renderings I've seen this week. It, it just, it's a lot of fun to look at. No doubt. And like I said, you know that with Purina on board, you know that other big companies are going to follow. So it'll be exciting to see, of course, stadium naming rights in somewhere down the line. Um, you know, the obvious would be enterprise or, you know, worldwide technologies. But at the same time, I've heard that MLS kind of frowns on that, basically putting money that way. Um, so who knows? You really hope that companies outside of the regular ownership for the team are willing to put their name on your stadium, who are willing to sink their money. I, I think that's what MLS is really hoping is that you don't have to buy a team and slap your own branding on the front of the shirt and slap your own branding on the uh, on the stadium. It's good for financial stability to show that every company in in the area wants in on your business and not just the people who are already bought into the team. So I, I'm really curious to see yeah, where those naming rights end up. 100% took some of the words right out of my mouth. I, I think back to when we were first trying to get the team back in uh, 2018 or so and Don Garber came and there was that business luncheon with like 20 leaders of the of corporations headquartered in St. Louis. And they hearkened back to that this week. CKB gave some quotes uh, that really started with that as far as the business relationships. And I think of how almost quickly the Purina uh, relationship developed, at least publicly. It's not often that a team's first sponsor is the kit sponsor. And it's pretty unparalleled to have a kit sponsor be revealed this early in the process. We're still, right? I mean, right now we're 23 23, 24 months from taking the field, we already have a kit sponsor. You know, Austin waited another half a year or so before announcing theirs uh, yeah. with Yeti. And so it, it really tells me that they're successful in selling the club as something that St. Louis corporations want to be a part of. So I'm excited sure. to see that continue. Yeah, definitely. Okay, with the new season just around the bend, let's talk a little MLS. Little MLS 101. MLS is currently in preseason going into the what will be their 26th season. Opening weekend starts April 16th with a brand new franchise, Austin versus LAFC. Uh, should be exciting season. In case you aren't familiar, here's the way the league is structured. Uh, starting this season, there'll be 27 teams split into uh, two conferences. There's the Western Conference with 13 teams and the Eastern Conference with 14 teams. There will be 34 matches for each team, 17 at home, 17 away. A little different this year because of COVID. All the Canadian teams will play their home matches in the United States. The season concludes on November 7th 
with the playoffs starting on November 19th. Top seven teams from each conference qualify with the top seed in each, each conference getting a bye. And MLS Cup Final is being held on December 11th this year. So first off, yes, MLS crowns their champions of the league with a playoff system, unlike the rest of the soccer world. It's the U.S., it's what we do. In most leagues, you finish top of the table, first place. You are considered champions of your league. Well, MLS, you still do get a big trophy, the Supporters' Shield, uh, for best record, um, but since we, best record since we have two conferences. And you also get an automatic berth in the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, CONCACAF Champions League is, is our version here in the Western Hemisphere of the European Champions League. Uh, it's North America, Central America, and the Caribbean. All right, now let's dive into a little bit of the history. We'll try to make uh, this brief. First season was 1996. It's obviously the top soccer league for the United States and Canada. 1996 started with 10 teams. Uh, they really struggled for the first few years financially. In 1999, they brought in Don Garber as a new commissioner. And uh, say what you will about the guy, but Don Garber basically saved the league. Uh, started off with 10 teams. They were the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars, DC United, Columbus Crew, Kansas City Wiz, San Jose Clash, Tampa Bay Mutiny, Dallas Burn, Colorado Rapids, LA Galaxy, and New England Revolution. In 1998, two years later, they had their first expansion. Chicago Fire, Miami Fusion came on board. But then 2001, Tampa Bay and Miami were contracted. Basically means they folded, so they were back down to 10 teams. From there, uh, expansion really took off. Um, 2005, you brought in Chivas USA. They were contracted in 2014, the last team to be contracted. Uh, also, RSL came in, 20, 2006, Houston Dynamo, 07, Toronto, 09, Seattle, 10, Philadelphia, 11, Vancouver and Portland, 12, Montreal, 15, Orlando and New York City FC, 17, Minnesota and Atlanta, 18, LAFC, 2019, Cincinnati, 2020, last year, Inter-Miami and Nashville, this year, of course, is Austin, next year is Charlotte. And 2023 is St. Louis. Now, of course, we could go ahead and talk about Sacramento. Um, but let's save that. Let's put a pin in that for a minute. Uh, that's a whole mess. They were supposed to be on that uh, time frame as well. Um, some teams have gone through name changes. I won't list them all. Most of them are better. Uh, a couple still, um, yeah. You'll know it when you see them. Major League so Soccer also, they operate uniquely compared to other leagues around the world. MLS is a single entity, teams owned by the league and individually operated by the league's uh, investors instead of operating as an association of independently owned clubs. It's confusing, but uh, to explain it a little bit better, um, Matt Baker. Why don't you uh, enlighten us a little bit? Lead us through this, will you? Yeah, this is this is a somewhat of a passion of mine. Uh, I'm 
kind of an unabashed nerd about the financials and the, the way these things are set up. It's just, it's fascinating to me, probably because of the history of soccer in the U.S., um, all of the different leagues and clubs that the U.S. has had in, in its history, um, for one reason or another, mostly financial related, have not survived. The thing that we always look to are the European leagues and teams that have been around for more than 100 years. <clears throat> and there's always been kind of a, why aren't we doing it this way? Or looking to them as the gold standard. Um, not to say that the way MLS has chosen to operate is by any means perfect. I think it's just always interesting to look at things in perspective. And so part of that perspective is, you know, comparing what they are now, but also where they've come from. So the two main differences that I really wanted to call out between MLS and the rest of the world when it comes to the league structure and financial regulations are that single entity league uh, first and foremost. And the other thing is the salary cap. Those are the two really differentiating things between MLS and let's say the European leagues that we, we know, Premier League, Bundesliga, Serie A, so on and so forth. Um, the European leagues, like you were alluding to, Steve, have a governing body, they've got a league office, and then independent teams with no salary cap. But over the past 10, 11 years, um, the European leagues, at least under UEFA, have operated under something called financial fair play. Um, I'll get to that in a second, but I think the single entity structure of the league is really important to keep in mind as you look at the, the way that the leagues are set up, and the financials and the salary cap especially. Um, and, and the reason why they chose to do single entity uh, is important to keep in mind too. Back in 1996 when the league started, and then even before that, um, when the U.S. was getting their World Cup in 94, that really was the whole reason that MLS came to be was FIFA awarded the 1994 World Cup to the U.S., and part of their requirement for that is that the U.S. have a domestic top-tier league. Kind of unheard of, I believe, for that to not be the case. And so uh, with the last league in the U.S. being the NASL that folded in the 80s because of financial issues, um, MLS chose to start their league as a single entity to protect against um, a lot of those financial issues, they prote uh, protected themselves against things like antitrust issues that the NFL and other leagues had faced um, to increase the likelihood that they would have financial stability of the league, not ending up like the NASL. And then just keeping in mind how that, how that was in the mid 90s and where soccer in America really was. So contrasting this with leagues like the Premier League, Bundesliga, Serie A, those are entirely independent clubs operating in the, the same league and having the same league office and, and governing body structure where they compete with each other for player signings, among other things. Um, MLS clubs, in contrast, are, like you said, Steve, investor operators of the league. And so they don't exactly compete directly for player signings because all players actually sign with MLS. So when you have a player coming from Europe or from Argentina or Mexico, they're not signing with St. Louis City, Charlotte, Austin, so on and so forth. They're signing with MLS and they're playing for these clubs. So their contracts are with the league. Now, with the structures of the leagues kind of known, the salary cap that MLS imposes on its clubs um, is it's a quirk in and of itself, but it's really a, the big difference uh, between MLS and other leagues. The other leagues that MLS is compared to, they don't have salary caps, but UEFA, for instance, they do have that financial fair play that I mentioned. The essence of financial fair play 
being a lot like a salary cap fundamentally, uh, protecting against clubs that try to spend beyond their means, uh, that take on increasing debt, become financially unstable. There are a litany of examples where um, we're familiar in the US with the notion that MLS clubs don't make money. That, that's the narrative that the league pushes. MLS clubs don't make money, they lose money each year. That's not unique to MLS. Uh, clubs over in Europe lose money regularly and drastically to the point where they, are, they have been in the past uh, financially insolvent in some cases. Um, you also have the high profile Manchester City case where financial fair play was implemented in about 2010. And financial fair play essentially means that the money you spend has to be in proportion to the soccer revenue that you're generating. You can't have a billionaire owner go in and say, I run this successful oil company, so I'm gonna throw $300 million on the table for this transfer window to sign players. Conversely, you can't have um, maybe like, let's say a championship or a lower level Premier League team try to take on additional debt in order to sign these players. Yeah, there's there's multiple ways in which this plays into it, but it really boils down to making sure that the money you're spending on your club in Europe comes from the soccer club itself. Man City uh, famously was um, was banned from the Champions League for two years for violating this, where they were hiding some sources of their funding. Now that was basically uh, scrapped after they they sued and brought some litigation. One thing that's really timely about all this when you look at uh, financial fair play is just last week, as I was kind of researching this, come to find out UEFA is scrapping financial fair play. And so I haven't, oh, really? I haven't seen, they really are. I, yeah, I haven't seen or heard a lot of this, but March 24th, if you Google it, I mean, Google financial fair play scrapping, for instance, um, they are doing away with it, trying to create a new system that gives more freedom and flexibility to the clubs to spend what they can spend. Now that, I, I have no idea how that's gonna look, but that, that was the news that came out last week is that this could be the last year of financial fair play because of all the issues and complaints they've had. Um, I don't know how they're going to deal with, with parity, something that MLS is rather good with, um, but you, you're still going to have those billionaire owner clubs, Man City, Chelsea, uh, trying to infuse non-soccer money into their clubs. The big problem so, that... I, I was just going to say, so if I can interject this, so that one thing um, that is a, you know, as unorthodox as the MLS setup is, ownership setup is, that is one thing that you have to appreciate about it is that we don't have the same four or five, six teams finishing in the top every season because of those financial restrictions. And I, I believe, uh, I, I've seen this before, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think out of you know the top uh, soccer leagues in the world, if you consider MLS one, which I do, uh, most people do, uh, we have the most diverse number of champions. You know, only 25 seasons, but we have the, you know, there have been only a few clubs that have been repeats or three-peats um, throughout the history, as short as it is. And you you have to credit that financial system for that, those regulations. And I'm sure they'll go away at some point, but it's it's kind of nice that they're not. 
Well, and one of the reasons you have clubs like the Galaxy as I think a five-time champion were because they were a founding club. And in the initial, like you were saying, the league started out with 10 teams for a period of time. And so you had just less competition. But as you've expanded, right. you, you've really gotten a lot of parity uh, when you've reached the 20-plus team threshold in who's a champion year in and year out. Right. Yeah, one, one thing on the salary cap um, the mechanism that they use is it's, it's not like Major League Baseball or the NHL. So if we're thinking about understanding MLS from, a, from the ground up right now, you're, you're brand new to MLS, you're trying to understand, you're maybe a Cardinal fan, and you're coming into this thinking, all right, I know, the, I know how the Cardinals struggle or, or don't spend because of the salary cap, or you've got all these preconceived notions about that. Not exactly apples to apples. Um, there is no luxury tax. There is, and there are a host of mechanisms to get around the salary cap which is really the unique thing about MLS. So the way that I've kind of seen it develop is you had MLS in 96, you needed to start up the league, you wanted to make it uh, long lasting, so you have the salary cap, you have the single entity, you wanna make sure that your clubs aren't struggling even, and they did, in fact, they even struggled at the beginning. There were owners that owned multiple teams, there was contraction, like you mentioned, there were still financial issues, even with these mechanisms in place, but, as the league started to expand and develop and grow, and then when, I think it was 07, when David Beckham arrived, things changed. I mean, MLS 2.0 is the moniker for a reason. Things just changed in MLS, and they knew it, and they developed these ways around the salary cap to bring in people like David Beckham. The DP rule, the designated player rule in MLS is the David Beckham rule because they created it to bring the superstar that is David Beckham over to MLS. Right. And the, and the way that, that MLS has kind of um, adapted their salary cap is to just enhance those different nuances. So they haven't gone away from the single instance. They haven't gone away from a hard salary cap. But what they've done is they've introduced rules like the designated player rule and then our favorite monikers, GAM and TAM. Um, yeah. So I, I could go into, I could go for probably an hour just talking about these rules. but I'll, I'll try to be as straightforward as I can in looking in today, because if you look at how it was, how it's grown, you're just going to confuse yourself. Um, yeah. You definitely, you it, definitely need a, you need a roadmap for sure to get through a lot of these uh, explanations because it's, it's complicated. It really is. I, I, I don't know how general managers do it of a, that are on these boards. Cause uh, I would be confused. I am personally. highly impressed by, every single person who can navigate this well. And as a fan, that's going to be one of the biggest things for, for City is how well do they navigate these financial rules that MLS has put into place? Because it's not as straightforward as being a player scouting in Argentina and saying, I want to bring, what's your salary requirement? Oh, it's, it's a million dollars. Oh, we can afford that in our, our budget. Well, it, it was definitely not as easy. And, right. and I want to quickly go into a couple reasons why it's not easy. So in 2021, MLS's salary budget is 5.21 million, meaning you have 5.21 million to build your roster. Uh, the maximum that you can spend on any single player is $651,250. So you, you can see that if you spend that maximum on uh, six players, then you're up to over half of your salary budget. So MLS has these mechanisms to get around and to um, enhance the players that you can sign. So the DP rule 
is basically the mechanism where you can sign any player uh, for any amount of money and their salary that hits that cap is only the maximum salary. So if you sign, uh, let's say Chicharito for $5 million a year, he's one of your designated players for the galaxy. And so his budget or his charge against your salary cap is only going to be at maximum of 650,000. So you're paying him millions of dollars a year, but it's only hitting the salary cap for that $651,000. So you can have three designated players on your roster to do that. So you can see how that allows you to sign some bigger stars where their, their budget hit is not that big. Two other big mechanisms are GAM and TAM. So GAM is a way that you can buy down the salary of a player. So each team kind of gets uh, an allotment of GAM. So in, in 2021, the GAM is 1.9 million each team has. Um, and so you can use that 1.9 million to say, I wanna sign, um, I wanna sign player A over here. And he is going to cost me $800,000 a year. Well, if that maximum salary per, per player is 651, then I need to buy down his salary as far as my salary cap goes. So while I'm actually paying that player 800,000, maybe I'm spending 200,000 on GAM and he's only hitting my salary cap at 600,000. And so you use GAM to, to buy down those, it's almost like the middle of the road players between uh, a player who is just in your salary range versus a DP. So it, it lets you sign those better players, not quite to the DP range. Um, but, but then one of the crazier rules is then we hear about players who are being traded to other teams in exchange for GAM or some of that money allotment, and that's when it gets even more complicated. That's when you really look to the uh, ingenuity of GMs who do this right, because you don't just trade players in MLS. Players actually don't get traded among MLS teams very often. What happens is you trade, um, trade GAM, you trade uh, different mechanisms like this, you trade super draft uh, positions. You, you do this so you can, as a GM, maybe you have uh, scouted a few players and you need more GAM to pay down uh, their salary so you can sign them. So you trade a player, you trade a homegrown right, you trade all these different things that are nuanced in the rules to acquire this game so you can spend it on a player. So we're going to notice in City in a couple of years and probably even next year, we're going to notice a lot of these types of moves being made that don't sound flashy. They might sound confusing like, all right, what's up Lutz's sleeve here? What is he thinking when he's trading away um, uh, homegrown rights for game? It's going to be interesting to see because these aren't as straightforward as uh, baseball, where you, you sign a player, you trade for a player with cash considerations type of a thing. There's a lot that goes into that. Um, TAM is the other one. So um, while GAM is used each season, targeted allocation money, GAM is general allocation money. I don't think I said that, but GAM is general allocation money. TAM is targeted allocation money. Um, Targeted allocation money is additional uh, money that rolls over each season. GAM expires every year. Um, TAM rolls over, and it's kind of the same purpose, but because it can roll over, there's a, a different perspective in how it's used. And so all of that goes into players you can sign, uh, how much of their salaries actually hit your salary cap, and kind of how the roster itself is made. 
Now there's other roster rules. Like I mentioned homegrown rights and it, it just takes so long to get into those. Yeah. And we'll probably do that at a, another, another show when it actually is more relevant Definitely. to talk about, but yeah, those are the three main things. It's the, in the salary cap, you've got the BP, the TAM. And the so one, uh, one newer rule that came into effect, I, I believe a, a few seasons ago, um, I don't believe you mentioned, and I'm still confused about this one as well, is the young DP rule. How does that work? Any idea? So it's a, it's an MLS used to be, we talked about this a little before, but MLS used to be the retirement league uh, moniker. They They were known for signing these superstar players when the DP rule was introduced. And, and that was where the flash of MLS came from, is signing Zlatan, signing Rick, um, David B, like all those guys who just came over to MLS when their careers were done. The young DP rule is something that they're introducing. I think they're introducing it this year, to be honest. It's, a, it's an under-22 initiative where, like the DP, the designated player rule, um, it allows you to sign additional uh, players under 22 or, or who are 22 um, with less of a hit to your salary cap. It's additional space on your roster to, to sign these players for, for more than you can in normal salary cap rules. Um, and it's also part of MLS's newer, newest push to develop younger stars and then sell them off to Europe for a profit. You've seen dozens of examples or, or lately where MLS is developing talent in their academies, or maybe they sign 18-year-olds to play for a couple of years, they develop them a little more, and then they sell them off for a profit to leagues in Europe. And that's where MLS as a, a developing or development league for the world is kind of coming into play. And in St. Louis, Lutz has spoken on multiple occasions, Lutz, our sporting director, has spoken about developing players and not having MLS be the end-all, be-all final uh, goal of their career, but developing players to where you build them up through the academy, you sign them, they play for your first team in MLS, but then they continue to develop in the top four or five leagues in the world in Europe. Um, there's a very high level of awareness there in where MLS is now, where they've been and where they're going, but not wanting to sacrifice kind of overall player development, thinking MLS is the end-all, be-all, which directly plays into that young DP Sure, and I, I think that that's one thing that um, newer fans to MLS need to get used to. One of the things that a lot of American sports fans are used to is, for those who aren't soccer fans or just new to it, is watching the top leagues in the world be based here. If you're a great domestic hockey player in Sweden, you want to get signed to the NHL. If you're a great domestic baseball player in South Korea, You'd love to come pitch in the United States. If you're a great domestic soccer player in the U.S., you should be looking to get signed by a team in the English Premier League or by a team in the Bundesliga. Those should be seen as good things. Uh, we're just not used to being on that end of it for the other sports fans in the United States. I, I was uh, listening to a, a podcast on Spotify um called the birth of major league soccer and it was uh just listening to that and trying to think of different things for us to talk about and it was basically a documentary 45 minutes interviewing folks who were around at the beginning of mls and what their mindsets were in the start of the league and players and and the how a lot of the world cup players from 94 were coveted and the 
U.S. soccer and MLS initially basically required or needed them to be a part of the league. And Alexi Lawless, for and I say that name where I'm sure folks are listening or groaning a little bit, but Alexi <laughs> was talking about how he played in Serie A at the time. And you can only imagine that at his age, he could have had probably a much longer career in Serie A with higher competition. But he was very specific about how he wanted to kind of build up the league in the U.S. And one of his goals was to come to MLS and, and retire in MLS because he knew it was what the sport needed in this country. Like we needed, and we still do, those high visibility players to, to play and to get fans excited. And it, it's changing throughout the years on what that means, whether it's a, a younger star, whether it's a, an older star or a national team player. But at the end of the day, you need those personalities and those players in the league that kids can look up to and, and want to emulate just like they do in basketball. Basketball is so good about that. The NBA has so many personalities that kids want to emulate. And, and soccer needs that. And soccer is get, I think it's getting there a lot better than what it was. But you know, I, I, see, I see that as one of the, the big reasons for it's important that you, no matter whether you're coming back or where you're staying in MLS and MLS and then leaving, you need those personalities that people are familiar with and the national team helps. But let's change gears and talk about the future of MLS really quick. Uh, Commissioner Don Garber has stated that 30 teams was his goal. Um, like I've said, we're, we're at 27 teams this season, 28 next with Charlotte and St. Louis SC. We'll top it off at 29 in 2023. Sacramento was supposed to be team number 30, or 29 within 30 uh, joining St. Louis in 2023, but it looks like that's all but forgotten now. Joe, enlighten us a little bit, fill us in a little bit more on the future of MLS, Sacramento, the league in particular. Could you? Sure. For anyone who has not been keeping up with the news out of Sacramento, their major investor in their team, Ron Burkle, has withdrawn from wanting to be an MLS owner. Uh, he says that COVID has affected the finances too much. So with him out of the picture, that leaves a, a great fan base in Sacramento without a primary billionaire owner because it, as we mentioned earlier, the a lot of these teams, this is not a money-making deal. You, you don't buy an MLS team to, to turn a profit. You have to be a billionaire who wants to do this, uh, who enjoys owning a sports team, uh, and he's backed out. So Sacramento, as of right now, is not officially they, – they're just in limbo. Uh, Burkle had never signed actual paperwork with MLS to – promise to pay them their expansion fees and so technically the city of sacramento doesn't have an expansion team mls has said that they want to continue to work with the city there to maybe try to replace him with uh with other investors to maybe keep them on track to be the next team but that's a giant question mark uh the one thing the league has consistently shown is that they do not want to go into business with ownership groups that don't have a lot of money. We've seen that in St. Louis, uh, and someday we'll have to do a whole other podcast episode for for the, the new St. Louis fans to fill you in on the long road to St. Louis expansion. 
right? That's its own whole podcast right there. But we've seen that on our end, that until someone with enterprise leasing money stepped up to say like, no, we're ready to own a team, it was it was a non-starter here. And that could be the position that Sacramento is in uh, if they can't find an owner soon. When MLS wanted to go to Miami and Miami has had troubles with ownership and stadium stuff. They were willing to, to wait around a little bit for a market like that. I don't see MLS waiting around for four or five years for Sacramento to get their, to get their finances in order. Um, so they say that they're still talking to potential primary owners. The city has said that, and the current Sacramento Republic franchise will have to see what becomes of it uh, because it's a giant question mark. And if they don't get it figured out soon, uh, there are too many other cities just lining up ready to take that 30th spot. That was going to be my question. Have there been any teams that have really made any major moves that could definitely fill in for Sacramento? One of the interesting ones right now is that the city of San Diego uh, is negotiating a deal with San Diego State University that if San Diego were back in the mix, which they kind of uh, tried to dip into the waters of, of MLS expansion a couple of years ago and looked like that was dead. But if they get a deal between the university and the city to share a stadium between MLS and college sports, all of a sudden San Diego is a large, attractive California-based market uh, that could easily slide into that Western Conference slot there. Uh, the city of Las Vegas has been in talks. They've got to figure out if they're going to expand the, their current USL stadium or build a new stadium on the, there, there's a site there in Las Vegas. There've been rumors of the Brazilian team Flamengo investing in there. There are local investors in Las Vegas, so they're a potential one. Phoenix is a great soccer market with a good USL team that has consistently said they're interested. Right now, it looks like MLS thinks they need more money on board too, though. Detroit is always thrown into these conversations because it is a huge TV market without an MLS team that has consistently gone back and forth on whether they want to build a soccer stadium, whether they want to try to share a soccer stadium within an NFL team. What do they want to do up there? They look like they're kind of going to be on the outside looking in again, but now the USL team in Louisville has said that maybe they might be interested in MLS expansion. Although their owners seem to kind of walk those statements back a little bit this week and said, you know, they're, they're not, they're not set on that, that they're, they're very content being a large, well-supported USL team, but I would love to see them as a rival in MLS. I'm not sure if that works as a market. I know MLS would rather be in a larger TV market like Phoenix or somewhere than a small to mid-sized market like Louisville, but man, I would love those road trips. Oh yeah, and Louisville would love, as as I'm sure Cincinnati would, to have that rivalry, Cincinnati versus Louisville. I mean, that's <laughs> that's pretty tight. Matt Baker, anything to add? Yeah, the the San Diego and the news that recently came out of of them trying to get the San Diego State Stadium um, as part of the deal fascinated me because uh, years ago when we were going through the MLS to STL and we had the the vote in the city and other cities were having similar um, votes. I remember San Diego having an opportunity. I think it was right when Landon Donovan came around um, 
they were up for a vote and I'm, I'm almost positive they were up for a vote against San Diego State as far as who got to use Qualcomm's site after the Chargers left. And the voters turned it down for the MLS group. And so I, I'm, I believe San Diego State's current, like where they're talking about is the result of that failed MLS vote. So it's almost, it's funny how it's kind of come in uh, MLS still being interested and in, in trying to discuss leveraging that site that's not a soccer specific stadium. So I, I agree with Joe that that is a market that they seem to be very interested in. Um, and right now we're looking at Team 30, which is back on the table. But in all honesty, there's, you know, pundits and analysts are still talking about 32 being the magic number. And, and even then, there's no guarantee because Garber said in the past, uh, you know, we're only going to expand to 26, 28 teams, and then it became 30. Um, so it, it's, it's always a moving target in what makes sense for the league. We're a massive country. So I, I just have a hard time believing that um, the top league can only hold uh, 30 teams. There, there are only 30 cities. To me, I see all of those potentials as viable sites. You know, the Vegas, the Phoenix, the San Diego's, even Louisville and maybe Indy. I mean, obviously for us, those those central sites would be amazing for away days. But I just see so much promise in what they could not just bring to the league, but just have for their for their fans. Like we know the support is there in all of these areas. I, I think it's I think MLS expansion is far from over, um, even with COVID probably putting a stall on things or slowing things down or eliminating a team in Sacramento's unfortunate case. But it's just going to be interesting to continue to follow that over the next few years. How long until you guys think that uh, we see a third conference? Central, if you will, maybe, or however they want to split it up. If they don't do it uh, when St. Louis enters the league, I don't know that they will because it seems to me like they they could do a central conference which would probably have teams from maybe as far west as colorado on over to cincinnati probably um but the the more visible discussion isn't about and i don't want to get into this but it's not about the conferences it's about the merger so i don't know that they would change up conferencing with that being on the potential horizon and are you if, referring to the uh, Mexican merger, or what are you referring yeah. to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the Liga MX MLS uh, courtship that is ongoing. That's crazy, Joe. You were gonna say? I'm still very uh, suspicious of whether or not a Liga MX MLS merger could really happen. I'm fascinated by the concept. I I I like the idea in theory. Uh, just because a bigger, more complicated soccer league is fun for me as a viewer, the finances of it seem iffy. If I were an MLS owner, I'm not sure that I want to add the amount of travel costs, the amount of complications between a, a third national economy being brought in there. There's always, in every major league sport here in the U.S., issues of, between Canadian dollars and American dollars and different tax rates and how that affects the finances of running a team and buying and selling players. If you add a third large country into that, I, I'm i not sure that MLS owners want to go down that road when they know that there are more potential expansion markets in the United States. 
I think it's it would be a much easier sell to the ownership to just keep adding teams. They love their expansion fees that they're all making off of it. I see no reason why they couldn't have 40 teams in MLS yep. and split up into larger conferences that way. Uh, you're already talking about the U.S. and Canada. It's two countries that are both so much more spread out than any you know, European league could even imagine. I, I, I don't know that the merger seems that likely, but in the meantime, MLS has lots of options on what they could do conference-wise. I think if they figure out that 30th team, that would be the logical time to go to three conferences because then if you play everyone in your own conference twice, home and away, you play everyone in the other conferences once, either home or away, that gives you 38-game schedule right on track with what, say, you know, they play, for example, in the Premier League. That would seem a very natural fit. Um, I don't want to see them go to, I, I've seen pundits advocating things like, well, once they hit 32, then you just go to the NFL with four teams in each division. And I, I really don't want to see that because then it cheapens the playoffs. If you're going to have a playoff system and all you have to do is beat three other teams out, then you end up with teams with losing records, you know, competing in the playoffs. It, it cheapens the regular season to me. I don't want to see that. The, so I was going to say the, the supporter shield that is awarded to the top MLS team in the regular season has already essentially been diminished to an extent because clubs no longer play every other club. Uh, at, they don't all play every other club, first of all, but they don't play them in an uh, even amount. And so when the league was smaller and you had uh, 30 plus games, you were playing every team regularly and, and it was more of a meaningful um, trophy. It's still meaningful, but I mean, the way that the league is expanding kind of just by its very nature limits the, the I don't want to say worth because that's not, not really what I mean, but it limits the um, kind of appeal of that as kind of the gold standard. Because every team is already different in who they play, how often they play certain teams. It would get further uh, worse, I guess, by the divisions. I, I hate the concept agreed with you that it's of divisions in soccer. I would like to see a full table. I were too big of a league to do that. Um, I think a conference set up, three conferences, uh, would provide kind of parity in scheduling and, and travel. So I, I, I would like to see three conferences. I just don't see it. Yeah, there probably has to be a, a few more teams need to be added before that we could get to that point anyway which is probably going to happen down the road. I was very amused to read a, a, an article talking about uh, Charlotte and Sacramento and saying like, well, at 30 teams, this is the last we're going to see of MLS expansion. And I just, I just nope. crack up reading that because MLS has proven that as long as there's money on the table, uh, they will keep expanding. So right. I, we could be at 36 teams before too long and at 36 you're back to figuring out, you know, does that need to be three conferences of 12 now, you know, that's getting kind of unwieldy even for two conferences at that point. So. Well, the, the example of how big of a joke the 30 team is goes back to, to St. Louis. We were fighting with Sacramento for the 28th spot. I mean, back in 20, 2018, that's what it was. It was, who's getting this final 28th spot, St. Louis or Sacramento. And that's really what it was for months. And then all-star game 2018, I believe it was all of a sudden it became, oh, well, we're going to, we're, we're looking to expand to 30 teams. 
and then it was a foregone conclusion at that point that both teams were going to get in because two teams fighting for 28 you expand it three teams it's obvious so it just the way that that changed so fast was almost comical yeah, we've all, those of us who've been watching for longer have learned not to take any statements about how soon they're going to expand or not. Uh, we, we never take any of that at face value. Don Garber is the kind of commissioner who's very good at saying one thing and then changing his mind very, very quickly uh, later on, uh, especially once, when ownership groups step up or disappear. That, that is, the, uh, is the main key. It's, it's all about having people who want to own these clubs. His statements are very carefully crafted to further the goal that he wants, to increase uh, the attractiveness of a, a club in a city. So everything he says is for a reason to further the interest of the league, which is what a commissioner should do, though. That is his job, and it's working in recent expansion. If you look at the markets they've been moving into, most of them seem to be very successful markets. I mean, I was suspicious when they went to Atlanta as a team thinking like, ooh, is that a... Is that a city that'll really, you know, turn out the fans to support them? And they've brought out great numbers. Obviously, you know, LAFC was a great addition in LA. They're, you know, they're bringing on teams that are getting great local support. Uh, and hopefully St. Louis just continues that. And I hope we're selling out our games for the next 20 years. All right, guys, let's move on. The future is nigh. So our final topic really quick. We're running out of time. Uh, really quick, 30 seconds or so. Let's talk about our favorite players for a sec here. Uh, list your top three players. They don't necessarily have to be the best, just players you enjoy, players you like, personal favorites. Matt Baker, you go first. Top three. Top three. So I, I didn't, I didn't grow up from a young age, a, a fan of soccer. And so I really fell in love with MLS when David Beckham came. I, it was that I was one of those MLS 2.0 fans. Like I was aware of the league, but that's what did it. Um, and so David Beckham's one of my top three. Um, I've got Jordan Morris is my other one. I, I, and this is a probably a recency bias, but I just really enjoy his story, seeing him play. He's, he's scrappy. Um, I was excited when I when they had the notion that he was going to be like an MLS lifer. It just seemed so novel that he would be willing to do that, despite the fact that he went to Swansea this year on loan. God help the guy with his his injuries. I just, I mean, right. man. Um, and then Taylor Twelman, number three. You know, the I think his work on the field speaks for itself. Local St. Louis. He's just, I mean, he's the guy that we're all proud of, um, and the guy that some of us like to see on TV. So those are my three: Beckham, Morrison. Cool. Those are those are good names. I like those players, especially Morris. Morris actually almost made my list, um, but my three are different. As I've mentioned in, in previous podcasts, I was a little late to the MLS game as well. Started paying attention around 05, got into it more and more as the seasons went on. Went to my first match, and I believe it was 07. Um, so here's my three. Got to go with Brad Davis, local kid. Um, third on the all-time list for assists, uh, just a great player. Dwayne DiRosario, um, another great player, personal favorite, uh, four-time MLS Cup champ, ninth on the all-time scoring list, 104 goals, played 13 seasons. He was uh, MVP and Golden Boot winner in 2011, just phenomenal Canadian boy. And then 
my third, I almost put Jordan uh, Jordan Morris. I stuck with the same team though and went with Obafemi Martins. Guy just blew me out of the water. He was so much fun to play. Um, he was only here for two and a half seasons. Um, guys scored goals for fun. Uh, 72 appearances and I believe, um, well, shoot, I forgot how many, 40 goals. That's right. 40 goals and 72 appearances. He spent his whole career in Europe before that, you know, Inter Milan and Newcastle, played in Germany, played in Russia, played in Spain, all top levels, top teams. Came here, like I said, two and a half seasons. Really disappointed that he followed the money to China, though, and he's actually still playing there at the age of 36. Joe, go ahead. All right. Well, mine, uh, they sound a little more random, but I'm going to tell you reasons for all of them. I'm going to start with Kobe Jones. Kobe Jones, I don't even like his team. Uh, I don't like the LA Galaxy, but to me, as a casual soccer fan that I was back in my college years when MLS first started, he was the first guy who was really the face of the league to me. Like, an MLS player who I would actually recognize if I saw him on the field, like, oh yeah, that guy plays in MLS. And he was the first one of those to me. Uh, obviously he was a very good player, but he, he's my picture of the early days of MLS. Um, my next one uh, is Chris Boyd, who only played one season for Portland. Um, but part of what made him one of my favorites is I was a fan of his before he came to the States. He played for his best seasons. He played for Rangers in Scotland. I was a fan, uh, loved him as a player for Rangers. And when I heard he was coming to the U.S. to see a European player at the height of his career still, and the guy who was still in his 20s, choosing to come to MLS, not some aging, you know, 39-year-old player trying to squeeze an extra paycheck, but to, you know, to see a player who saw MLS as an upward move from a European league uh, made me very excited. I wish he'd had a more successful career over here in the States than he did, but I liked him for that. And my last one is DeAndre Yedlin, because the more I got into soccer at, as a Barcelona fan, personally, uh, my favorite player ever in soccer uh, is Danny Alves. Danny Alves was a fantastic right back, and I loved him because he's the player I always wanted to play like in, in high school um, that I wasn't good enough to be. Uh, I was a right back who wanted to be able to push forward and help out. Uh, Danny Alves is a right back who actually can push forward. And then, so when DeAndre Edlin was coming up for Seattle, playing games at 19, 20 years old, he was very much the poor man's Danny Alves. And I was excited to see an American who played that style, uh, who was... It, he was that same player. He never reached that level. But for me, that made him one of my favorites. Like, ooh, is America going to create our own version of that? Is MLS going to have, you know, that guy? Um, and so it, I always enjoyed watching him play there. Awesome. One last thing I forgot to mention about Obafemi Martins. When he came to the U.S. in 2013 to play for Seattle, he was only 28. Example again, not a retirement league. Anyway, uh, so I think we'll wrap it up here. Um, thank you guys so much for your wisdom and insight. I appreciated you guys being on. Um, let's do it again sometime soon. What say you? Sounds great. Let's do it. All right. All right. All right. Thanks for listening. Remember, 
to check us out on the social medias. Our website is finally up and running, cityscreport.com, for all your St. Louis City SC news, info, and interviews. Uh, still use some tweaks. It'll be a work in progress for a while, but uh, we'll have some original material dropping on there soon. Uh, there already is a couple, uh, including links to all the social media pages and podcasts. Also, if you have any questions or feedback, drop us a line at cityscreport at gmail.com. So thanks again, everyone. Until next time, sayonara. Thank you.